You know, we weren't drinking whiskey this whole episode. I know. I, dude, as soon as we started, I was just like, should we stop and get this? And I was like, yeah, we're on a roll. Let's, let's keep Actually, going. Actually, we, we sounded much more cohesive, so maybe we don't drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. It is episode 233. It is our final show of 2019. And usually during this time of the year, things are winding down, I guess, except if you work in retail, then it's a bunch of last minute shoppers, but we still have some news to cover, so let's get into it. Last week, I opened the show talking about the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act being in jeopardy. And we also talk about it in this week's podcast. Well, some hopes have been answered and the tax cut has been approved and extended for one additional year. It has passed in both the House and the Senate. So now, craft distillers can take advantage of one more year tax breaks. So we'll see what's going to happen in 2020, if we'll be furthered again, or if it's now time for craft distillers to start preparing for a 400% tax increase in 2021. If anything has the word Weller associated to it, there's bound to be some hysteria that follows. This past week, a new Weller single label that was orange hit the TTB. This caused a bunch of memes to spread like Weller pumpkin spice, Weller honey, and even a Weller jaundice. I'm not too sure who thought of that idea, but the market needs new excitement every single week. Now, there are no public details from Sazerac on this line, so it's still yet to be determined when or even if it will ever be released, the proof and the price point. On the Bourbon Pursuit side, we're finishing out 2019 with a bang. For the past few weeks, we've been lucky enough to select two more single barrels for our Patreon community. Two weeks ago, we traveled down to Lynchburg, Tennessee to select a barrel-proof Jack Daniels. And to my surprise, these whiskeys, they're only five years old, but we ended up choosing a barrel that was 131 proof and just completely floored us on taste and complexity. It was also a good time just talking to a lot of folks that worked there because it was truly an all-encompassing experience with humble people who just love what they do. And we did our best not to get into those is Jack Daniels of bourbon conversations with anybody that works there because we knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. And this week, or should I say last week, we traveled down to Buffalo Trace and selected our first ever Eagle Rare Barrel. And to keep the story short, we had our team of 10 people along with Susanna, who leads the barrel program, with Joshua Steely, who manages the premier bourbon brands, and the infamous Freddie Johnson. It was a split decision all the way to the very end where Joshua and Freddie ended up being our tiebreakers. You can read the stories for both of these pick experiences with the link in our show notes, and these barrels will only and always be exclusively available to our Patreon community. And thank you, as always, to our retail partner, Keg and Bottle, for making it happen. You can read more about them and order whiskey online and have it shipped to your door at kegtheletterinbottle.com. And not only that is... We're starting out 2020 with even more barrel selections. We have our first 1792 foolproof selection happening on the 3rd of January. So go to our Patreon page, check it out to see all the single barrels that we have lined up and the ones that are be coming in. As I look back and I reflect on 2019, it's been a monumental year of growth for the podcast, but it was also the launch of our Whiskey Quickie series. We selected 19 single barrels from various distilleries. We released 17 episodes of Pursuit series and the podcast. It reached a new milestone of 950,000 downloads in 2019. So thank you all of you out there that listen and support this podcast. We just couldn't do it without you. We decided to celebrate for this very special occasion and buy some new equipment 
to help you even bring better quality in 2020. So we can't wait to start recording all new podcasts with the new gear coming in. And today's podcast is going to be more about looking back at 2019 reflections, but also looking into 2020. What was our whiskey of the year? And what do we think is going to happen with things like TTB labels, marijuana, tariffs, the three-tier system, and more in 2020? We cover it all in today's podcast. But first, you've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Jess, or Blonde Ambition, on Twitter. Uh, Great handle, by the way, Blonde Ambition. Kind of jealous of that handle. Uh, She asked, uh, what's the average char for a barrel? Now, it's interesting. This is uh, something that the distillers, they tend to be very emphatic about their belief in the charring of the barrel. As you know, by law, every uh, barrel has to be newly charred oak in order for it to uh, store bourbon. And there have been a lot of experiments over the years uh, to include Buffalo Trace's um, experiment for their experimental line that uh, they stored whiskey in in a, uh, a barrel that was charred for nearly like two minutes and the barrel barely held together. So you can't really have a barrel that's charred for more than a minute, minute and a half uh, in order to have like um, decent volume come out of it. So the average char that most people use and that they've found that they derive the best flavor for them is usually about a char number four or 55 seconds. You'll also hear it called the alligator char. Now you're finding a lot of people really kind of live by the char number three. Char number three is, you know, in that 45 second to 50 second range, and it gets people a lot more, you know, a lot more durability out, out of the barrel, but the wood also gets, you know, when when that whiskey gets deeper down there in that line, they tend to come out a little earthier. And I've seen some people do a char number two and a char one. And to be honest with you, those whiskeys tend to be a little greener. Um, you find you find a lot of like astringent notes. And I have typically not been much of a fan of that of those. Of course, all that is to say that at the end of the day, charring plays a far littler role into the flavor of the whiskey than the leaving the staves outside and letting them dry age uh, or the toasting mechanisms. So I, I think the charring, while important, is not the most important aspect of the barrel. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever the hell you want to. At Fred Minnick, just uh, email me on my website, fredminnick.com. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. 
All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the final episode of Bourbon Pursuit for 2019. Kenny, Ryan, and Fred down here in the, I don't know, is this is somewhat of a new setup for us? So we're trying to invest in some new equipment, make it sound better, make everything kind of work. So yeah, yeah. So wait yeah. until the very last episode <laughs> you know, of the year to get some new equipment. Well, you know, we're, uh, uh, I keep, I keep looking at all the Fred stuff that he has in his new setup and I get jealous. Get, I really do. I get jealous and envious now. You got Mike envy? A little bit. It's a little bit of Mike Hello. envy. It is. It is. Well, at least you know how to turn it on. You know, <laughs> it took me, it took me a while to figure it out how to use that damn thing. Yeah, it's all right. We'll get there. But today what we're going to do is we're going to be going over kind of like a recap of some of the favorite things that we did or we saw or a part of in 2019. Uh, also looking into 2020 with some predictions and some kind of ideas that that I kind of have. And we'll kind of just, we'll take it from there. And, and you know, one thing that some data just originally came or just recently came out, uh, there are now 800,000 podcasts that are out there now. And it's an astounding amount. And we just want to say thank you to the listeners out they're there. They're not all bourbon, are they? Uh, well, I mean, there's probably a new one every other day. I right? know. But Feels like it. There's 800,000 <laughs> other ones now. <laughs> but, you know, want to say thank you to all of our listeners out there uh, because we definitely appreciate it. And hopefully you continue listening to us more as we go into 2020. But what's kind of one thing I want to kind of look at is kind of reflect back on 2019 a little bit. Like, you know, Fred or Ryan, I'll let you kind of dive in or I'll kind of say a few of them. Like, did you have a, like an episode that you were really happy about or you were proud about or really got a lot out of? You want to take this, Fred, or you want me to go? Um, you know, we had so many great ones. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting uh, Matthew uh, Raywalt on here, Aiden English from uh, WWE. And, I, and the reason why I... I love that is, you know, inevitably you're going to have new people come into, into kind of like the media spotlight and everything for, for whiskey. And I, I applaud that. I want to see new people coming in and, and giving their opinion about whiskey and kind of like furthering the story of what we know whiskey is and you know, who enjoys it. And to have like, um, someone of that caliber who's on TV, like every, every uh, week and body slamming people. I just think that's kind of cool. And, you know, we've become pretty good friends and I just think what he has done for uh, whiskey uh, and continues to do so is, uh, is fascinating. And I'm also 
I also, and it's not just because she's one of my best friends, but the Peggy No Stevens episode that you and I did at her yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll notice both of those I was not a Bart part of. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were mentioning this earlier. It's very rare that all three of us are together. It is. And I think it's because, you know, it's kind of like when uh, when the president goes on the stage to talk, you know, you need to have one of the people in the back yeah. just in case a grenade drops <laughs> too many, or something. Too many chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be one designated survivor yeah. of BTV around here. Yeah. Is what it is. <laughs> but the, uh, the the Peggy No Stevens episode to me was like, you know, she revealed a lot of things there that was, you know, she didn't have to. And, you know, I, I wrote the book Whiskey Women and I and and I think she was she was a reason why I wrote it. She was a trailblazer in that in this world. Um and then on the other side, Jackie Zykin, whom we all three were there with, was yeah, we were all there. That was with a fun one. That. She's always great. She's great, and Campbell was great. And you know, I, I just got to tell you, we had a lot of fun this year. And every episode I was a part of, and you know, it was just fantastic for me personally. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the one of the ones I really enjoyed the most, you know, as as Ryan and I started venturing off into the, our own little side business as well with Pursued Spirits, but as we started really kind of like turning a new chapter for Bourbon Pursuit as well, like we're we're not just interviewing master distillers and it's not all cultural, but we're looking at even like further behind the curtains of things. And that's when we did episode 182 with uh, Jeff Hotmeyer, Bryn Diamo, and really talking about like, what's the secrets behind sourcing whiskey? Like we all knew that there was, there was source whiskey out there, but not a lot of people knew the process, what it takes. Could there, I mean, God, remember we talked about like the whole, like a counterfeit full of, or a whole truckload full of like counterfeit rum potentially, yeah. right? I mean, like there was, there's a lot of things that a lot of people just didn't really know about it beforehand. Yeah, that was kind of like, um, that, that broke a little news in, in our world uh, for for a, a broker to come out and say that there's counterfeit bourbon out there and someone's bottled it and we don't know who, you know. And as a consumer, it's kind of like, it kind of goes back to that old that old adage, um, really only buy with, from people you trust. And like, that's why the distilled and bottled buy or like a, a source purveyor, like, the Pursuit series. Uh, <laughs> we, do, we, like do, we do our best. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that opened a, a lot of eyes, I think. And, um, yeah. I totally agree. What about you, Ryan? Do you have a favorite one from this past year? Or maybe the most yeah. awkward one? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think everyone knows which the most awkward one was. But, uh, do tell. Uh, I don't know which one you'd be referring um, to. <laughs> with the counterfeiter, which... I mean, that probably is, I, it, it was awful doing it at the time because it was so awkward. But uh, as Fred and I talked about with other people, and uh, I think it did bring us three like a lot closer. And, you know, because, uh, you know, you had some people taking shots at us and questioning and all that stuff. So we kind of, we kind of bonded over it. So that, and I think it, a lot of people enjoyed it as well, kind of shine some light on a dark subject of this hobby and uh, hopefully deter some people from doing it. But uh, probably my most like memorable and fun one, I always am in, amazed by the business aspect of this. And like, I really enjoyed the one we did with Cave, um, just because I've started businesses, you know, myself and on a much smaller scale than he had with Rabbit Hole. And like, this guy was literally leveraging his everything to make it happen. And you could just tell like, you know, it, it was about to come to fruition, but it hadn't yet. And later we found out that, you know, they were purchased by a Pernod card. And, um, it was just fascinating for me to hear, you know, cause I mean, it's ballsy to come into Kentucky where you have the most, 
you know, you have the big boys and literally that, and you have no connection to the industry whatsoever and you just start a brand and, and succeed like that, it's pretty incredible. So, and, and I wasn't on that interview, uh, but, uh, Kave is someone who definitely came in and, you know, he made some enemies in the process as well. And like he, um, and he, but he kept pushing forward in his way. And, uh, so that story is fascinating for that reason. He got like, uh, one of these big entrepreneur organizations, he got entrepreneur of the year for the whole country. So like he's, um, he, he caught a lot of people's attention nationally. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, speaking on the business side of things, like one of the ones that uh, both of you were not there for, but I was the one dealing with uh, episode 223 with Ken Lewis and New Riff and really hearing his story of how he just kind of like just randomly got into the liquor business. And then he eventually sold off the the party sources that now become liquor barns in Louisville. And now he just has that one. He had that one location and said, you know what? I want to get into the, the actual distilling process and everything like that. And then kind of talked about how when he was actually at at the party source, how he bought all these barrels of MGP just saying like, hey, like, I don't know, maybe I'll do something with them one day. And, you know, lo and behold, that's really what kickstarted everything that happened in New Riff. And they did a clean cut from OKI to their own product. There was no blending or anything like that. And they're not sourcing anything else. It's just moving towards their product. And, you know, and they've had a strong 2019 as well, even going into it from from that side. Man, think about how good their whiskey is too. Oh, no. You know, and they just... um they just kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people. I mean, we've known about them for sure, but for a lot of people, they're just like discovering new riff and they're like, oh my God, this is good. And so that story too is like, it's so rare in whiskey that we see someone who gambles it all and and then their whiskey's good. <laughs> yeah. you know, usually it stinks. <laughs> we see most of them that, <laughs> that don't succeed. You know, we get... You're like, oh man, I'm sorry. You spent your whole life savings on this. To make this, uh, sorry about that, but no, it's... It's hard for me to remember what episodes got released this year because we record some and some get released. And so, so I'm like, you know, just thinking back, because uh, if you're not familiar with our process, we batch record. Uh, I know you're familiar with it, but the audience, uh, um, we batch <laughs> think, record these things to me. We, six we, we months in up. advance and kind and, of release and, them as we go. And just so the audience can know and feel sorry for Ryan and I, we've just been bullied into like uh, that we have to plan for the next quarter oh, I know. right, after, right this. after this. And it's like, we have to come up with new episodes and 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 he's been trying to schedule, Kenny's been trying to schedule yeah. this with us for a long time. And we have been, a whole syllabus of stuff, you know, <laughs> like coming up after the show. I mean, <laughs> get, get your copies at the door, have a seat. We're going to go over this. What's, what's your, uh, here's a question for you, Kenny. What is your, um, what's your favorite moment of trying to get Ryan and I to do something? Uh, probably when I get to call y'all names, I'm like, well, you bastards finally look at these text messages. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get answers like, out of I'm trying to plan the calendar for January and February. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm at Disney World, dude. Chill out. <laughs> I'll be back home soon. <laughs> oh, no. But I mean, like I said, finally, like when I get those, uh, I feel like I'm just, it's, it's always waiting. And then as soon as I get it, I'm like, okay, bam, I can start knocking things out, start getting everything ready. And you know, there's there's a whole process behind it. And I just got to make sure that we're- uh, You got to add like two weeks buffer, you know, when you try to get stuff done with us too. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. But I applaud you for, for the your persistence. Tenacity, yeah. You know? the, the the pursuit pays off. Yo-ho. There we go. Yeah. There, there we go. go. So let's go ahead and let's start, you know, looking at to uh, actually, you know, I want to kind of talk about this too, because I don't want to talk about best bourbons of the year. I don't know. You know, I know Fred's going to be recording his, you know, that we're recording this here uh, about two weeks prior to this actually being re released and Fred's going to be releasing his, his 
best bourbons and best whiskeys of 2019. Uh, you know, Ryan, I kind of want you to kind of talk about this too, but you know, I think 2019 was actually a very, very good year for American whiskey and bourbon. And I'm, I actually wrote down every single limited release and everyday bourbon that got released too. And I'm just going to go through Whoa. these really quickly because I want just to say like just the gravity of really what went out there. And as soon as I say these things, you'd be like, oh yeah, that was actually just like back in February. Now, now I kind of remember this. So of course you've got the antique collection and you got Van Winkle, but you had Cornerstone Rye, Elmer T. Lee 100th, the Amaranth, Grain of the Gods, Four Roses 2019 Small Mash, Maker's Mark RC6, Angels Envy Cash Strength, Knob Creek Quarter Oak, Double Eagle Very Rare, Old Charter Oak Series, Angels Envy Oloroso, Bardstown Bourbon Company with their Fusion, Pfeiffer, Pavit, and more. Uh, Bell Mead had some experimentals that came out. WB Saffle, Eight and Sand from GP. Fourgate had four releases this year. Blood Oath, Pack 5. Old Carter had a few bourbons and rise. Woodford Reserve, Baccarat Edition. Woodford Reserve, Batch Proof. Woodford Reserve, Chocolate Malted Rye. Peerless Bourbon, Weller Foolproof, 1792, 12-year. King of Kentucky, 2019. Baker's 13. Wild Turkey, Cornerstone, right? I got it on there twice, so maybe I take that one back. Um, Old Forester Birthday Bourbon, Parker's Heavy Char Rye, Kentucky Owl Bourbon Number no. 9, Stranahan's Snowflake 2019, Remus Volstead Reserve Bourbon from MGP. And those were all the limited releases. So now we go into just the everyday releases. Old Forester Rye, Cream of Kentucky, they had two releases this year. Four Roses, Small Batch Select, Heaven Hill, Bottle and Bond, Seven Year, Cooper's Craft, Barrel Reserve, 100 Proof, Maker's Mark, 100 Proof, Uncle Nearest, 1884, Small Batch, Whistle Pig, Piggyback, Rebel Yale, 100 Proof, Woodford Reserve, Wheat Whiskey, Dickel, 13 Year, Bottle and Bond, Jim Beam's Legend, Kentucky Owl, Confiscated, Baker 7, and the Bullet Single Barrel Program was also announced. And then you also had others like uh, Barrel Dovetail, all the barrel releases, all uh, the Basil Hayden Caribbean Rye, you had all of the Booker's Batches. I mean, when I did a count, like we were- So you're saying to, we have options well, out there. <laughs> it was like almost like 55 new entrants into the market this year of just limited releases, but there's also a good handful of just every other day stuff. So in my opinion, 2019 was a fantastic year for American whiskey. So this, there's two things, two ways to look at this. One, yes, it was a fantastic year. The other way is, is that uh, these distilleries are getting savvy about- um, Limited you know, releases. Yeah, 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 every every release is a new press release, is a new uh, story somewhere. It's new, and so they're not just like saying like, "Okay, we got Woodford Reserve and Maker's Mark, let's go." You know, let's <laughs> yeah. keep pushing that. So they they've they've learned that the consumer base likes something new, special, and different. And so uh, that's what that list tells me is that some uh, some MBAs in the boardrooms. Uh, have spotted that and it's uh, the strategy is working. Yeah. And I think it also tells us that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to catch up on their stocks of aging product. Um, they're starting to, you know, you're starting to see like seven, eight year, you know, stuff getting pushed out there that, you know, finally they were, th you know, eight years ago they didn't have. And so uh, I think they're able to catch up on it and start releasing some more stuff now. I mean, and this was, this was just from the big guys, right? right. Like this is, right. this doesn't even take account the other 300 craft distilleries or even well, maybe 3000 craft distilleries there are across our nation now. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that was released. And Fred, I, I kind of see what you're saying that this is, this could be a telling sign of what is going to come in 2020. Like yeah. we'd need us named off maybe like 30, 30 to 40 kind of like, you know, big kind of things that kind of shook up that. 
it's because it seems like every week that there's a press release and everybody's like, oh, yes, I got to go get this one. Right. Right. I mean, even just last week, like pretty much everybody around here, uh, we got the Larceny Barrel Proof and we got the old Fitz 15 years. And it's kind of like, OK, like we're already gearing up for first of 2020 to go and find new bottles. Right. So I guess that's just kind of the uh, maybe that's just a new evolutionary cycle that we're going to see. And I would like to say, like, the the question to me is, like, you say that list and we know there's strategy. I think what can be very telling is the pricing of each one of those is like, uh, and the one, the the big winner of that entire list to me is the Old Forester Rye coming in at $23. And that's just, uh, and we know that Jackie Zykin kind of fought for that to be at that price point. And the other ones, like, you know, where what are their price points? I mean, they're hovering anywhere between 75 and 150 and so, you know, a lot of these like new kind of products, they're not really pricing in, you know, the old consumers who brought them to the dance. They're they're going for that that new consumer who's like thinks that seventy five dollars is cheap, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. Uh, I mean, I think Ryan and I, I mean, we had this conversation of even before we went in the car when we were just talking about Pursuit Series and we we're talking about like, oh, like what happens if we run out of glass? Do we just like kill the brand and start a new brand? Like what Like, what do we do here, right? Yeah. So there's there's definitely, even on a very smaller scale, we have ideas and things to even think about, you know, even when that happens. But Ryan, what about you? I mean, is there one of these like everyday ones that kind of like stuck out to you or anything like that? That's kind of like maybe one of your best whiskeys of, yeah, I mean, uh, Fred already mentioned the old Forester Rye. I mean, it's freaking, it's so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it in pretty much every, when I can, uh, every cocktail too. Like, it's good both ways. Um, and then the the Dickel Bald and Bond, I thought, was really excellent, um, you know, and price great. And, you know, the blind tasting of the Heaven Hill uh, Bald and Bond, seven-year uh also proved that it's a very good, and you know, at forty bucks, it's much, still price, much to your chagrin, right? Much to my chagrin, but uh, <laughs> it's really good whiskey, and it's forty dollars. You know, like Fred said, most stuff that you got to get at that quality is like seventy five hundred bucks. So, um, you know, that's you know, it was good. Yeah, so. and and that's, I mean, I guess this will be another question for you all. Like going into twenty twenty, can you picture bigger brands trying to come out with more extensions that drive a price point even lower? Or do you think they want to create more extensions that create a higher price point to try and match some of the craft distillers, the sourcers and everybody out there that can't make a price point as low as you can if you're actually distilling it and you own these barrels for mm -hmm. since they were, you know, basically born at that point. Well, we had two market leaders come out with very low price points, um, Brown Foreman, and um, Diageo. So Brown Foreman's Old Forester Rye, Diageo would be George Dickel, Bottled and Bond. And those two kind of like under, you know, say $30 or $40 price points, um, you know, that was very telling to me. And then you saw Beam uh, do that as well. Like they're not pricing yeah, with the high. Legend. Yeah, they're not pricing high. So I, I do think that there is a little bit of an effort to kind of make us think that they are pricing in, in that direction. Like Larceny still like 25 bucks for, for the most part in most places you go. But then there, um, you know, there are other things that are like 150. So that I think that what you're seeing is, is that you're seeing that they're going to always have something under $30, but they're going to start stacking the chips toward 
um, that $150 market. And I think we might start seeing uh, the price go up more because the demand is there in the uh, high affluent areas, the places like, um, I mean, Hollywood, uh, places like uh, Wall Street. So there's like a desire to have this, and they and they and that crowd just won't drink a thirty dollar whiskey. They just won't. It's to me that's cheap. They're too good for that. And so if 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 the bourbon industry does not price themselves to be competitive to Scotch for those money people, then they won't get them. And then so that's kind of like their rationale behind a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you are seeing a lot of things that are pushing that hundred fifty dollar price point, and I can definitely see exactly why they would want to do it too. I mean you, you've got to. You have to push uh, or kind of get those affluent people. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, we've, I always say for myself that I don't have a drinking problem. I've got a buying problem and I will always be able to go. And if I find any limited edition bottle, like even if it's 150 bucks, I'll be like, yeah, I'll go ahead and get it. Like it, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I have a, I have a, a bad urge to always buy stuff, right? That's, that's just me. But at the same exact time, there's always going to be a lot of people out there in the bourbon world that are never going to pass up anything at a price point that is limited or anything like that too. So I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out in 2020. So kind of moving on a little bit here. So looking into 2020. So one of the things that kind of happened even recently, as even as of today, it's still kind of unfolding as we talked about that uh, in 2019, there's been uh, a trade war. We've had tariffs. We've had a lot of things going on that has um, really hurt bourbon in export uh, interest. And we've talked about it plenty of times of how the export market is really where a lot of growth can be as soon as you start getting all the scotch drinkers around the world to actually start seeing bourbon as a first class citizen for them. And so there's been uh, things that have already kind of progressed a little bit today. There's been some stuff with China. We're not going to get too into politics here, but I kind of want to figure out like, um, what do you all see on the roadmap or the horizon for this in 2020? This is very scary. As we record this right now, I mean, there might have been, there might have been something uh, that came to fruition. But at the moment, in um, at Washington D.C., the the Craft Modernization Act is is on the table to to be renewed. And if it is not renewed, then craft distillers, I think, will have talk, to talk first. What yeah, is the Craft Modernization is. Act too? Because I know I've heard about it before I read it, but for everybody yeah, else, yeah. So out the there. Craft, and I have no idea what it is. So, <laughs> so basically, this was. Uh, this, so you have a lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah. They give you five dollars. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so to keep it, to kind of keep it, um, to basically to give you like. You know, the the easy version is that a couple of years ago they passed the Craft Modernization Act. They basically uh, gave craft distillers, as defined by you know the the government or ACSA's qualifications, um, that they would get less, they would pay lesser taxes than, than than the big guys, and it gave them kind of a competitive advantage. And this was very very important to them, especially as these tariffs were coming on and they were losing those like foreign markets because they couldn't afford to you know, to eat the 20 or 25% tariff that they were going to go overseas. And so there was a sunshine's clause in that, which means that it, when it's, when, when this period is up, you know, they're going to cut it and, or they're going to reevaluate it. And um, that period is up. And so now you have craft distillers who are looking uh, who've been, um, you know, taking advantage of this tax and investing it back into their, you know, this lack of paying taxes on certain areas. And they've been investing it back into their company. And when, um, if that goes away, then they have to, you know, there's like a 200, 400% tax increase, like right away 
on on like excise taxes, and that puts them at a competitive disadvantage. Um, you know, some of these guys have like big corporate support, like you know Woodenville does now, and uh, Rabbit Hole and people like that. But uh, for the most part, this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous, and and from what I can tell, it is not going to. It may not pass. And the other thing is too is it also defined a lot of things in uh, in spirits, um, like or, or in drinks. Like it defined mead. It gave like some definitions to mead. Um, and there's also another thing that's happening, kind of on the federal level, is that they're trying to define what a barrel is, and w- that would eliminate the basically the smaller barrels. And the craft distillers have you know love them or hate them for it, but they've kind of defined their ways with those smaller barrels. And so I've, I've always felt like there's a lot of like um, backdoor Washington stuff going on with the big boys, you know, to try and kind of cut out, squash some of the little things. And because that, I mean, if you take away those smaller barrels, I mean, you basically eliminate probably a quarter to half of, uh, of the craft whiskey distillers. I guess um, kind of like a follow-on question to that is, you know, you, you talked about investing into the business. You talked about um, being able to um, take a lot of that money. I mean, it, is, do you do you see if if this doesn't pass, like is 2020 going to be like the year of either sink or swim for a lot of these craft distillers then? I do. I mean, I think 2020 is a very telling year. Um, and if you don't have money, if, you're, if your cash flow is short, um, this is, this is going to be a bad year. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the other thing too is like uh, – just what you're starting to see, you're starting to see, and you guys are a part of this in a little bit. You're starting to see like independent bottlers come in and they are relieving a little pressure by going to these smaller distillers and buying up uh, barrels. And so what you're seeing is, is like anybody who has um, some solid craft whiskey, they're actually putting stuff out on the market. So they're getting um, kind of, it's kind of a Band-Aid effect. They're not helping their brand, but they're getting cash flow by selling 15 barrels to Lost Lantern or 15 barrels to Bourbon Pursuit to bottle uh, or Pursuit Series to bottle for um, for an upcoming line. And so that that's one one um, one positive for these guys is that there there's there's a business model there that can help them. But um, you know, if they're new, you know, they're a little cash strapped, if they don't have aged whiskey, man. It's I wouldn't tough. want to be in their shoes. It's tough. What about you, Ryan? I mean, what do you, do you see something that could happen with the export market like here? Do you think it's going to get better or worse? Well, I mean, I, I guess it all really, it's so hard to predict with the election coming and everything. There's so much in the air. Like, uh, nobody knows what's going to happen. And they do know we're all going to need a drink with the <laughs> yeah. election coming, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all and bored it, with that it's, one. It's just so, you know, the waters are so unsettled there in Washington you know, on both sides. And so it, it's hard to predict anything on with anything <laughs> with what we have out going coming in 2020. It's just like, let's all just be nice, you know, in 2020, let's just, we're all bourbon brothers, you know, and not <laughs> let the politics divide us. But, uh, as far as exports, I have no idea because it's, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are sitting back to willing to see what happens. Yeah. I, I would think that something in the trade war needs to, did needs that to, sound like an educated response? It sounded pretty educated. <laughs> we'll, we'll let it, we'll let it pass. But I mean, for, for me, I, I kind of see this as, uh, I would like to see something change, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it before. We've seen the export market as, as the, could be the future of bourbon growth. And you don't want another whiskey glut era to say that 
you know, a, a bottle of bullet here in Kentucky or in the United States is $35. And then you go across the seas and then it's $75 when there's a bottle of scotch for 50, nobody's going to go and yeah. buy the bullet. Right. I mean, so. Well, and I think right now, like, remember Al Young said with, he said, well, even though if we have issues with exports over there, we can fill a need here in the domestically. So, you know, I think the need here domestically still is so, so much that it's not really going to affect too many people, except for like Jack Daniels, who relies heavily on exports. Yeah, and that is true. I mean, they're losing like $125 million, which, but still for them, that's like, uh, that's like one day of revenue probably. Uh, but it, it matters. Um, it, it matters because of the world stage, the conversation is, is like, it kind of goes back to really, you know, the 1950s when these bourbon distillers were fighting to uh, make bourbon a unique product to the United States and get exports overseas is they were always coming up against a battle of like foreign governments saying like, you're not whiskey, you're not, you're not whiskey, uh, scotch is whiskey. And so, so all, a lot of this is, is a kind of, um, it's kind of an international battle that just hasn't stopped and you know scotch and bourbon brands uh, they're very closely knit and everything but you know scotch is dominant is dominant and it is known as whiskey and bourbon is just like a like a fraction of of what they get and then and i don't think that the bourbon brands will ever fully admit this uh but they're jealous of scotch and what they have done internationally. It's like Kenny with your mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and they do it with used bourbon barrels. And so... Um, They're like, you got our dirty second, sloppy seconds. Right. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so they want they want a piece of that, and that's and that's all there is to it. But they're also not in a position to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, like you know, Al is very smart to say like we can't do it overseas. Which, so let's focus on domestic markets. I mean, that's the that's the right move. I mean, I'd I'd venture to say places like Boise, Idaho, and Bismarck, um, South Dakota. Is not right. That's South Dakota writers in North Dakota. I don't know. I, I think it's, not, it's South Dakota. I left my atlas upstairs. Uh, so uh, I'd venture to say that places like that, you know, you might go into a random place and there's five bourbons. You know, why not make it twenty? Mm -hmm. All right, Ryan. I'll I'll toss you a little softball here, right? Because one of the great conversations that we did have this year, we talked about uh, marijuana and whiskey and whether they were going to have an impact on one another or anything like that. But this was actually something that Chris Hart had actually posted out on one of the forums and says, do you think we will see a marijuana or CBD infused whiskey in 2020? I, I mean, know. especially with, with all the states I mean, that are like kind of opening up legalization too. Like it's, it's, there is a trickle effect happening. CBDs and everything. So, uh, I mean, you drive around here in Kentucky, I see signs like on every gas station, every like, I think I saw like a mechanic shop said we sell CBD here or something. You know, it's like wow. there's signs everywhere. Diversify, um, diversify. But I don't know. I guess if I mean if they if it's legal, then yes, I think they will because people. I've talked to people and they really seem whether it's a placebo or not, they really think the CBD like works for them and whatever ailment they're trying to deal with. But uh, you know, I mean, Char Bay is pretty close to doing it anyway, so why not uh, hop flavored whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, it's and I'm not sure that it will taste good, but. Maybe, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I mean, I, 
it can't be called bourbon, right? Uh, well, maybe I don't really know, but can it be called bourbon if it is an infusion? Uh, it really can't well, because it's not really unless, well, what are the, unless you're distilling with it, right? One of the things that has been done is they take the seeds and uh, they distill it in a in a in like qualifies as a grain under uh, the hemp rather mm-hmm. uh, qualifies as a grain as a seed on uh, like some kind of uh, USDA code. And so there have been people who have um, mashed it and cooked it and uh, fermented it. And uh, yeah, I know MB um, Rollins, one of those that, yeah. that had that had done that previous previously. But. And then the, from uh, here's the thing about this. I've talked to a lot of, uh, you know, marijuana people and they don't, they don't really want this. It, it seems to me like and I'm sure there definitely are people who, you know, within the weed business who want to see like infused alcohol. But most of the people that I talk to who are kind of like in the, you know, the luxury lifestyle of, of marijuana, like trying to like make it be like its own thing, they're like, you know, pair it, but don't, don't combine it. They want, they would like to see, um, you know, marijuana become like a, like a luxury good or something that you would uh, enjoy recreationally, like we do bourbon. And they don't like that. A lot of them don't like the idea of um, combining it with alcohol because that perpetuates like a stoner or a drunken kind well, of persona. And uh, it's hard to like, persona. you know, it interacts with somebody so differently, you know. Right. And then you interact, you have the two and it's like, well, how do you dose it, you know, correctly? Say one shot for somebody might like make them trip out and like call the ambulance on themselves or something, whereas somebody else needs like four. And so, I don't know, it just seems like it'd be tricky to, to combine the two um, where because you can't really uh, dose it out as well. But Constellation invested billions into the business for a reason. And they're studying like how how to get it to metabolize the same way as alcohol because, you know, weed metabolizes differently than alcohol and they're trying to figure out how to make it work. So someone's going to do it eventually. Or the next best gummy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so there's, 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 eventually it's going to happen. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see it happening. I mean, there, there are today they're already infusing different kinds of sports drinks or anything like that with it. Um, but you know, alcohol is a, uh, as we all know, a very he- heavy regulated kind of sector here. So, heck, if we can't even get shipping, much less just you know, oh. infusing it, infusing yeah. it with, yeah. with weed. Can't. Oh gosh, you know. So, uh, you know, this is the other thing that I, I kind of got wind of this. Um, we had a Patreon. Uh, community person actually sent us a sample of this and it was called, it was from Heritage Distilling. It was called BSB 103 and it stands for brown sugar bourbon. And it says this high altitude bourbon is flavored with natural brown sugar and cinnamon for a flavorful kick that will sure wake you up. Whiskey aficionados looking to try something new. Also, it was only 60 proof and not 80. And this, um, Originally, just kind of just went through the TTB, went through cola approval process. Like, didn't really say much about it, right? Wait, does so, it is it labeled as a liqueur or a flavored whiskey? It, or it says it's like the 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 fanciful name is BSB one hundred three. Okay, but underneath it, it doesn't it says, say brown sugar bourbon. But it says no, does. it says like brown sugar bourbon and like letters and all. Or it's what it says underneath. And it was originally just called brown sugar bourbon, is what okay. it was originally called. And they had to rename it to BSB one hundred three. And so you know, that's this isn't the first time, right? There's plenty of other instances where we've seen. Uh, things just just slip through the cracks, and yeah, there's you know, a bottle and bond like flavored whiskey a few years ago. I mean, it, it happens. This is what keeps Wade interesting, right? This right. is what keeps <laughs> this is what keeps him like you know really like pedal yeah. the metal. So I guess uh, do you do you all think that the TTB and just in 2020 in general, do you think it's going to even get more relaxed or more strict? Mm-hmm. 
If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Do you all think that the TTB and just in 2020 in general, do you think it's going to even get more relaxed or more strict? I mean, I know there's other laws that are on the books, but what do you kind of see is uh, the head turner, page turner going to happen here? I mean, it's with any government agency, it's resources. Like, you know, the they probably just have limited resources. And it's like, you know, with us, when we apply for any federal thing for pursuit series, like whereas a transfer and bond or a state ABC you like submit it and you check back three weeks later, like, oh, we're still looking at stuff from six months ago that's submitted. And you're like, what? Like stuff just moves slow just because they only have like two people working in the office doing everything. So they're probably overworked, overwhelmed. So things just slip through. I think they'll follow the laws as best they can, but there's human error when, you know, you have that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely not a whole lot of automation takes place, even though I will say the TTB did start a new, uh, new registering and COLA system in 2019. It did happen. Um, so they have a new like portal and stuff like that. But, uh, I think the back end work is still a very manual process. Fred, you're about to say something though. Uh, you know, I think for the most part, they do a good job considering that they have like five people, you know, looking at all those labels and God, that can't be easy. And everyone gets frustrated with them. Um, and they're an easy target, but, um, I, I always like to go back to the person who creates the label. What are you doing? You know, I mean, you, you agreed to not perjure yourself. And if you put that through, as, as as bourbon on your application, then you're in violation of of the law. And so, you know, I think we sometimes uh, beat up on the TTB and rightfully so often. Um, but here, it's like it, you I knew put, what you were doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I put I put the blame entirely on uh, on on the applicant. Well, and it's I noticed this other day. You kind of mentioned it, like separating uh, you know bourbon from whiskey category, like. And I never really thought it was that big a deal until I went to the liquor store and you go look at the bourbon section and it's huge. And then the American whiskey section is like really tiny and it's off to the side and it's like not, it's not visible, you know, from everything else. And so I could see why 
someone would work so hard to get that or yeah, even just to slip by just to get that designation because if you're right there in the midst of what everybody else is buying um, versus being kind of off to the side in the American whiskey category, I can see where it's uh, worth it. Yeah, I mean, we 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 see it all the time. I mean, whether you're coming out with like a wheat whiskey or an American whiskey, something like that, and and yeah, you're not going to have the eyeballs because it doesn't say bourbon on the label, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's that's one of the big issues that we do see and probably why there is so much entrance into the market. Um and you've got people playing with all kinds of different experimentations. I, I think I just saw an email this morning about a hundred percent corn bourbon. I'm like, well, okay, I guess it technically yeah, it's, it's bourbon, right? But it's just like, yeah, it's like, we're just, we're playing with all different variations of this category to try and make sure that everything is still hitting that, that big B word on the label at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, but like once upon a time, there was like a limit on like how much corn you can put in for bourbon. But I mean, that went away a long time ago, but uh, that would not have been considered bourbon back in the day. Oh, I love listening to old Fred stories over here. It's like- <laughs> Another thing too- well, I don't it, think he was around. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like the barrel entry proof. If we, uh, if we were to go back to like 1955, uh, more than half of the bourbons on the shelf today would not be considered bourbon. Mm-hmm. So- because it was what, like 107, 115 or something. It was like one ten was the was the legal maximum it's, it's limit difference for yeah. um for barrel entry proof, and that changed in sixty two. Speaking of barrel taxes. entry proof, do you think the reason success of New Riff and uh, Wilderness Trail and others, you know, because well, I guess Wilderness Trail, they have a higher barrel entry proof, but I, do you think I, lower barrel entry proof makes a yeah, difference? Yeah, one thousand percent. I really do. I mean, and here is the thing: is it is it is really good in certain. What I have noticed is that it's really, really good between like three and five years old and like anything after like eight. But that but that six to eight years old, it can be really, really, really flat. Um, the, the higher barrel entry proof can be fantastic up to 12 years old. After 12 years old, that clock is ticking because that it's like it seems somehow absorbs more wood. And uh, Andrea Wilson from Michter's is the best person to talk about this. She talks, she breaks it down from a chemical aspect and everything. And as you know, Michter's is going in the barrel at 103 proof, which is the lowest in the industry. And um, it, to me, it, it's one of uh, it's one of the more enjoyable conversations to have about whiskey because um, I feel I feel that not enough attention is paid to it, but yet the there are a lot more people paying attention to it. And Wilderness Trail and New Riff and those low barrel entry proofs, absolutely making um, making nice whiskey. Yeah, I mean they're definitely making waves when you when you have that because somebody tastes it and you're like, holy crap, this is a four year old bourbon. Like this is actually really good. Now the one thing that you know you say you really like it, I say one of the one of the downsides to it. Um, it doesn't have, and maybe this is just because you know you, you think of like the stags, the stag juniors of the world, stuff like that. It doesn't have like that that lingering and very long finish where something has like that that hard spice to it or anything like that. Yes. Most of them, are, most of them are like this like creamy delicate texture. That, that's that's exactly right. So you're basically looking at a style and a preference here. Like, do you like that butter style dripping down your jawline, or do you want to feel that? You know, that's punch you know, in the face, punch <laughs> in the face, uh, um, cinnamon or something. And here's the thing. I like all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does, how does that one feel on my palate? And you kind of like, it, it's just like, uh, it's like football. You know, there, there are running backs who will run you over and are amazing. And then there are running backs who will 
go left or right. You can't tackle them when they spin. And then there are running backs who all they're good for is catching a pass and blocking. There's the, there's the Barry Sanders and the Jerome Bettises. Of That's exactly <laughs> right. And, and so like- We're going to put that on a t-shirt, right? Yeah. They're all great. It's just like, what is your preference for your offense or for your palate in that moment? Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely times when I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do like like something that's, you know, if I'm sitting there on the couch and I just want to do something that's like, yeah, like you said, very caramel, very buttery. Sometimes I'll reach for a dusty in that kind of aspect. Mm -hmm. And then there's sometimes I'm like, all right, we're going 120 proof and above right now. So, yeah, there's definitely the the kind of situational context for it, too. Right on. So one of the things that we had talked about a lot in 2019 is we talked about the three-tier system. We talked about shipping. We've talked about all these things. And this is, uh, and, and you know, the, the Supreme Court case of the state of Tennessee with uh, Total Wine and some other ones that were kind of enveloped in there and how this is potentially going to open up the market for some change uh, here maybe in 2020. So I kind of want to get your all's take on what, is there going to be a shakeup in the three-tier system? Can you foresee it happening? Are there too many lobbyists? Will the will the people revolt? Like, what do you all kind of see? I I, I think it's a ways away. I when the you know you've asked me this six months ago, I thought we were close, and I I just feel as the more I get into it, the more and more the big the big players involved are just digging in, and they're digging in hard, and they're not going to let this happen. Um, I just I, I just feel like we got a ways to go on it. <laughs> I always go back to this, and this was in one of my above the chars a while back. Uh, 46 state attorneys general signed a letter and made it like kind of like their mission for 2020 to stop uh, secondary sales yeah. on Craigslist, uh, Facebook. I, I just can't even believe that would be on their radar. And, mm -hmm. you know, and them putting the efforts into that just shows me that they're like sticking in hard to the three system. And, and it's not. It, I mean, it's not like they just like put out a press release. I mean, they were doing media. They were uh, putting out detailed plans. They were setting up meetings with these social media entities. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm scared to death of my uh, five-year-old getting kidnapped in Target when my wife is going and Christmas shopping with him. And he's like stuck there by like trying to get in there because that's where human traffickers are. They're like in places like that. Why are we focusing on that? Um, and yes, is there, is there a potential that, you know, there could be some kind of like poisoned alcohol out there? Yeah, there is. It's called in the hills of like Appalachia and places where people are making illegal whiskey. No one is getting or illegal moonshine. No one is getting that in these like consumer facing uh, forums. And the fact that they are using, uh, they're actually coming out and they're citing Pappy Van Winkle right now. They're citing Pappy Van Winkle in these conversations. And uh, the fact that they are doing that tells me that they they don't get it. They don't uh, understand that this is actually a consumer base that is is really just supporting one another and not trying to, you know, for the most part, not making money. It's people who are like saying they're in Maine or they're in Idaho and, and they got a buddy in Kentucky and said, hey, we have no Henry McKenna here. Uh, can you give me a bottle? You know, something like that. And um, there's no effort whatsoever to support the consumer base from the brands, from the government, from the distributors or anything like that. And that's that's my biggest problem here is like if you want to take off, if you want to go after the secondary markets, fine. Okay, that's your that's your hill. But what about 
what about like consumers who are really have fallen in love with this um, with this world, this bourbon world? We get an email every day from someone who just finds bourbon. They listen to the podcast. They want to learn more. They want to find more bottles. And we, what, what can we do for them now? You know, I mean, there's not much. There's not a whole lot we can do other than like, here, read about this great whiskey, but you can never get it because you live in uh, Boise, Idaho. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I really I really want to shake up to happen. Um, and and I guess one question I'll point to you back there, Fred, is you know when you talk about these attorney generals, do you think that this is this is somebody planting that that seed in their head? Like this has got to be a lobbyist that's happening. Uh, for the the distribution system, or maybe some of the major manufacturers out there that they're they're planting the seed in their head, and they're kind of distracting them from really what they're where they're putting forth their agenda, and not maybe the agenda of of the people that are actually the consumers that really care about this. Yeah, um, and there was also uh, there was an op ed in uh, the uh, Louisville Courier Journal um, that was published on Repeal Day from a distributor here that said, um, happy repeal day, thank a distributor. So you started to see like some like, uh, and he had a whole op-ed about why distributors are important and they help you, uh, basically the age gate, make sure alcohol doesn't get in the hands of kids and stuff. And I'm glad they put it in a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so only like 10 people are going to read it. Fantastic. Hey, now. Hey, now. Come on now. Don't be hitting up newspapers. That's where I got my start. No. Uh, but, you know, so you're, you're seeing, a, you're very much seeing an offensive. Um, whether it's a coordinated thing, I, I mean, I can't tell you that. But I do know that these are some of the same efforts um, that kind of took down a lot of the tobacco industry in the 90s. Um, Meanwhile, while you have this going on, you also have um, you have this entirely you, you have a new group coming out saying like drinking is bad, advertising alcohol is bad, and you so you have a growing movement of kind of like these consumer protectionist uh, groups that um, are trying to ban things like advertising. Mm-hmm. They want to you know we're just now seeing it on like YouTube. They're wanting to like rip down a lot of uh, uh, alcohol related things in social media. And so, and, and, and this is also a case of like a lot of the things that affect our lives are not government related, they're they're company related that we have really, you know, we're really connected in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if Facebook makes a policy and says no more alcohol sites, that in no way is violation of anything in the government. That's Facebook making a decision, and mm-hmm. they could do it. So I guess. Um if you if you're a senator and you listen to this podcast or you're a congressman, uh, you, you want us to kind of you know we'll we'll have we'll have the team go there and we'll we'll get in front of Congress. We'll talk about the the real issues here. So make sure that we'll here's the positive th- sides. Here's yeah. the thing: is that uh, Congressman Yarmouth would be very very open to having a discussion with us. Uh, uh, Mayor Fisher into his sure. yard. I'll, I'll talk to him about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course you do. <laughs> but I mean, these are I mean, these are people who really. Uh, really would stand up for it, you mm-hmm. know, and would, you know, because uh, it impacts our state. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and for me, I've, I've said it before, being in tech, being able to see the the transition of industries that just get disrupted because they rest on their laurels or they try to defend everything. Um, you know, don't be a Kodak, don't be a blockbuster, don't be one of these companies that just tries to uh, try to maintain the status quo. And when you've got people 
and you've got companies that are out there that are figuring out ways that they can get around this. They can get around the distribution system. They can ship across states. They can do these things. All it's going to do is have a bigger trickle effect later on and more people are going to catch on to it. I mean, you know, we're all good friends with Blake over at Sealbox, and I think he's done an amazing job of of how he has uh, grown and matured the business a lot more in 2019 uh, to the point where it's it's running like a very well oiled uh, machine now. And we talk to a lot of companies, and they're like, "How do you do it? Like, what do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, like we knew this like early on. Like we we weren't gonna be able to get to all 50 states, so." We looked at Blake and he can get to more states than we could ever even try to do it. The, uh, you know, filing paperwork and waiting for things to come through and opening up distribution and then losing our ass on half the product because we have to pay 25% to somebody else, right? And so now people are like, oh, well, that's how you did it. So now, like, we're giving Blake a lot more business because a lot of people also now see this is how they can do it, right? And I think some of the, even the people that are already there and distributed and now he can't actually do it. Because the way that the way the law technically works is that uh, he necessarily can't buy direct from somebody and sell it uh, unless it's already if it's not already distributed within inside of DC. And so you know you've got other brands that said like oh shit we were there too early and now we kind of like lost our percentage that we could have got out of this business model as well. Yeah, it's just you know it's it's tough because it is alcohol and yes we want to say let's open up shipping let's do it secondary but there is a lot of things that need to be well thought out and like Absolutely. implemented and so like uh we just need we just need s- some way for like let's work towards it versus like holding our ground either one way or the other like let's like right. not say that shipping we have to do it all that way or we have to know it it, there, there's got to be a middle ground that we can make it work for and, everyone. And one of the reasons why you may never see a middle ground uh, is because you have like these large distribution companies and that would require them working together in some ways, you know, and, that may, <laughs> and, they, and they may not want that. Get on a Zoom call, figure it out. Um, but here's the, here, here's the, the truth of the matter and is that eventually someone brings up that, well, how can you guarantee that it, a 16-year-old kid is not going to get the bottle off of the doorstep or whatever. And there it, it doesn't matter like you can have people sign for it, you can have anything. The minute that uh, a shipped alcohol or something outside of the three-tier system gets into a child's hands and something happens, it's over. Greg, you know, and you're, that, you're, and you're telling me like you never had a fake ID growing up. That's just it. It's <laughs> like um, I will not confirm nor deny that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm just saying that that is their all. That is always the go-to argument, always. And they're like, you know, we protect that. And here's the thing: is that they do to a small percentage. But let's go to you can go to any college bar, any college bar, and you will find like underage people getting served all almost all the time. Or any high schooler whose cousin, you know, goes and buys them booze and they meet in the parking lot. So here's a way, tech guy. Let's get a thumbprint on every bottle of alcohol that you have to guarantee that you're uh, an adult. Or it won't open. Something like that. Yeah, it won't open. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Or it explodes in your hand. Yeah, that's not. That's going to be a tough one. And the other thing that we kind of also, as we're talking on the shipping topic as well, is, you know, 
even Kentucky and the KDA, and they fought to get shipping at a lot of the distilleries that are around here um, where people can go and they yeah. can have their stuff. They want to be able to ship out, but they don't want stuff coming in. That's, <laughs> and that's, well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a kind of oxymoron, but I also don't know exactly like what the, uh, the stats or the details of it, like how much is it actually used considering we can only ship to like six states or something, right? I mean, it's right. something ridiculously low. Yeah, there, there's only six reciprocal. So it's like, I know a couple of distillers don't even do it because they're like, I'm not going to waste my time on six states, you know, or have a shipping package center. Right, and all exactly. Have set up all these resources to be able to just fulfill six, you know, states. But I know it's just surprising. Like, I'm kind of confused. Like, on one side, we're embracing, you know, the vintage law and all this stuff, you know, and then on the other side, we're, you know, trying to, Limit shipping and secondary. So uh, it's all just like it's well, typical politics. These, it's, it's hypocritical. Yeah. You know, it's all, just, all of these laws basically, they start out in one place, someone opposes it, and then it gets compromised and something gives up. And so that, that law where they could be shipped in, it, it seems like all the laws are just geared. It's more favorable for the businesses and not the consumers. Like I'm, I'm all for like distillers being able to serve more alcohol, ship, sell more bottles on property, all that. Okay, that's great for them, but what about us consumers, you know, who want to buy across state lines or do, you know? (laughs) There's not a, I mean, there's not a, a, you know, and and if there was, it'd be small, but there's not a bourbon advocacy out there, us maybe. Right. And, and, uh, but (laughs) we're not, I I don't have, I'm not signing check or sending checks that, you know, to, to get whatever passed. And there's, there's so many, there's so many lobby groups in the distilling business, you know, and there's the, there's the ADI, there's ACSA, um, there's distilled spirits council, there's the president's forum, there's Kentucky distillers association, there's Texas whiskey association, on and on and on and on and on. And they all tell their story and get what they want, try to get what they want. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily always what the consumer wants. Yep. Absolutely. So as we start rounding this out, you know, there's there's one thing that I, I want us to do is like, what is your big prediction for 2020? Right? Oh gosh, and I know. Um, and I'll I'll go first, and I'll I'll kind of uh, kind of set the ground, and you can kind of pick what you want. And it could be it could be anything. It could be anything that you kind of see with inside of whiskey or bourbon or yourself or I don't know whatever you wanted to. But for me, you know, one of the big things that happened this year. We were a part of it, being able to be on stage at, or, you know, being at Bourbon and Beyond, being able to see the Van Winkles talk about the takedown of the secondary market. You know, the, the secondary market, it's a part of the culture. It's a part of the bourbon culture. And I don't want to talk about it all the time, but it's definitely a part of what it is. Um, you know, there was one big sweep where groups kind of disappeared overnight. But in my opinion, that might be over. And I would venture to see that we will see the rise of a large secondary group once again in 2020. Are you the admin? I am not the admin. <laughs> I do not have that much free time in my life, and I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to be that. Could you that imagine high. the hate you get as a secondary market admin? Oh gosh! Oh yeah. yeah. So all the work for for zero pay? No, thank you. Yeah. No, it doesn't, it doesn't sound good to me. But I mean, we we're already kind of seeing it. There's there's groups already that are creeping up to eight, nine, ten thousand people. So. Hitting hitting twenty five fifty probably might not be uh, that far of a stretch here in twenty twenty. Yeah, and I think I like that prediction. What's your prediction for the for the year? Oh gosh, <laughs> put you on the spot there. Uh, I don't know. I've thought about a few things. I I, I think I still think like barrel programs are going to get reduced this year. I think they're going to stop and cut more uh, single barrel um, opportunities for people. I think 
um, the distillery see them as a headache and as a pain. And, you know, I'm always surprised. I'll leave there and I'm like, they let us do this? <laughs> you know, just, yeah. you know, just uh, um, go and drink barrel-proof whiskey and, you know, go see you later, <laughs> you know. But, it, is, uh, it is still kind of magnificent, you know. Oh, even, it's one of the best things you I do I mean, ever. we've been doing this so long and it's still like you're, like a kid going to the candy store, you know. It's just, I can't believe we do this. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think I think we'll see a reduction in them, and then you'll see. But with that, you'll see more product offerings in from do, the, do, the do distillers. You also, do you also think they're reducing outgoing because they're? I mean, let's let's face it. For a while, like Four Roses had. I mean, they're they're doing two barrels every single day. Like they've got to run an age stock at some point, sure. right? Do you think it's an age stock issue? Or do you think it's really just like a like an overhead issue? I think I think it's a, a resource issue. I think. They have the stock. I think they want to use the stock for their because we're consumers of those brands already as a single barrel buyer, and so I just think they want to continue to grow the market and use that juice to help keep growing new new consumers because it's a pain in the ass for us to come there and you know individually bottle all these and uh, yeah, I just I, I think they want to continue to grow that new consumer base. Now here's a question: You two uh, have started to do a little private barrels. Yourself, right? Mm-hmm, For with mm-hmm. uh, Pursuit Series. Can you all see uh, yourself giving up some of your honey barrels for, for private barrel picks? We've already started it. We've already started yeah, it. We've done a few already. And, uh, you know, like I said, for us, we do it. In a, it's very small, very boutique kind of way. So um, you're selecting stuff that we have already pre I mean, it's just like every other distillery, right? You go there, there's a tasting panel that's already selected the barrels. We've already selected the barrels. Now you finer grain and fine tune and choose that barrel. Um, but again, we're, we have a, we have a smaller amount of inventory, but <laughs> we do it on, on a come as, come as, you know, as needed basis. Yeah. So here's my prediction for uh, 2020. Uh, I think you're going to see about 10 celebrities coming to come into American whiskey. Uh, we saw a little trickle of them this year. Uh, I know of many who are coming in or asking around and looking. And um, that's why I started a, a, the best celebrity whiskey category for my awards is because I want to be able to say, I, 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 want, I want people to come in if they're going to, I think it's great that celebrities are coming first of all because that brings more awareness to, to everything. Uh, but I want to make sure that- And not just the spokespeople, but exactly. as, as brands. Owners. Yes. Owners, like majority in some cases. And the thing is, is they want to get involved. They want to pick the whiskey. And I want to reward that. You know, I want to reward uh, celebrities who are getting themselves involved, like uh, Clown from Slipknot, you know, probably- well, the top five bands in the in the world right now. Their uh, their their new album uh, was the first like hard rock album to be number one. It like took off, uh, and it and it took down Old Town Road or whatever. <laughs> and um, Old Town Road, my kids love that song. Old Town Road, but uh, so he blended that whiskey. He blended it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure he he's not going around saying I'm a master blender or any, or any of that crap, but. I just think it's really cool that you see someone at that level getting their hands dirty a little bit. And the same with Matthew McConaughey. Like we 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 see his um, you know, kind of creative side and he's very, very involved there and all that, but he legitimately participated in the creation of that whiskey. And I think that should be rewarded in some way. But so in the next year Do you uh, think people take a brand like that more 
they'll take it more seriously or will they scoff at it because it's our people will our people will always scoff at it yeah uh, for sure and and even to an extent all three of us will but and but in, you, but I mean it, it kind of goes I, I totally agree with you but I think it was it was uh, I think Kroger had a release of that Slipknot whiskey. And they only had, I don't know, I had only a couple hundred bottles or something like that. And they said like 2,000 people showed up right. for a signing day. Like 2,000 people here just in Louisville. Wow, right? absolutely. I mean, that's they, incredible. Yeah, really, right? I mean, and that's that kind of just shows you the power of what uh, these people can drive to this particular category. Right. And I did, I, I had a, a stage appearance with them at Louder Than Life. And, um, you know, I had probably... You know, in the in that big bourbon bar area and out, I probably had about four thousand people just sitting there listening to me interview clown. Um, and so, yes, those people bring an audience uh, to bourbon that we don't get otherwise. And here's the thing: is like we are, we are, we have this podcast. I have a magazine. I've got, I got other things. And like we, we, we want to educate people. We don't want people just kicking back and drinking. And if people can, if, if these, um, if these celebrities can bring like consumers that would be going to vodka or tequila otherwise, and we can have an opportunity to like educate them. I'm all for that. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think if we get more people that are even listening to this podcast, even better works out for me. Yep. So with that, I win, think win. that's going to wrap up our last show of 2019, our predictions for 2020. So fellas, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was fantastic. Then we covered a lot of ground, some best whiskeys. I mean, did you have a best whiskey of 2019? I don't know if we actually said it. I haven't. Um, you know, the the first thing that pops in my mind is probably probably Old Forester birthday bourbon this year. It was it's really so good. good. Like, I'm a, usually I scoff at birthday bourbon. I'm like, why do people care about it? <laughs> you know, but this year it was pretty damn good. Like, uh, it was so I. I, I just my first reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of mine for myself is that it's it's one that's consistently been pretty mediocre for years, and this year it it just rose. I really liked it, and it fit that you know we were talking about earlier. It fit that profile that you kind of want to just have this like buttery caramel texture. And I'm not even gonna be able to get a bottle of, but it was this year's Eagle Rare 17 uh, for the media yeah. samples yeah, that we got. That was like I a, was, and chocolate, <sighs> sexy, velvety. I was really highly <laughs> impressed with it. Even though I'll never see a bottle or get a bottle of it, I was very highly impressed with it. Uh, and then I think part of the uh, the everyday category, you already said kind of old Forrester Rye. I'm going to go with Four Roses Small Batch Select. I still think it was yeah, a fantastic great stuff. entrance to this year. All right. With that, I want to say, guys, thank you again for coming on the show again today. It was great to have everybody here. We're going to start getting yeah, everything planned. Now we got to get a syllabus and agenda. I know. Now <laughs> we have to really work. Yeah. Just to bring you more great content in 2020. Actually, Ryan and I are about to get yelled at, guys. So <laughs> yep. Can't <laughs> wait for this hazing session. <laughs> Pray for them. All right. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Cheers.